0: Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley.
1: Legal Conversations. Let's welcome our first A-team guest, uh, who is Johan priest who's uh, from the Consolidated Employers' Organization. He is uh, the National Collective Bargaining Coordinator for this organization. Johan, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening.
2: Good evening, Patricia, and to all our listeners
0: tonight.
1: Isn't it amazing how when we are looking for a job and looking for employment, everything seems good once we are given um, the employment contract. But as time goes on within employment, we realize that there's some issues around pay and there are some disputes that come in, especially for those who earn commission and uh, extra pay. And then now we need to go to the CCMA and the bargaining council, but we don't know where to start. So maybe briefly Tell us what the legal framework um, that surrounds uh, paid disputes is.
2: Yeah, thank you, Patricia. And again, thank you for, for giving us the opportunity to have this discussion. You know, it's such a loaded topic, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's something that, that can so easily be unpacked. Uh, I think uh, from the legal fraternity side, I think people tend to be a little bit too callous, you know, expecting that everyone would know these principles. But unfortunately, we see years after the legislation has come into place that uh, those questions still arise. And, you know, we at CEO specializing in dispute resolution, you know, doing so many cases, see it daily almost, that parties, whether it's employers or employees, do not really grasp the basic concept. And I don't want to bore you guys with, with the legal framework too much, but I really want to make it very practical for everyone to, to really understand. Now, um, legislation has changed a bit, and it's not new. Uh, you know, legislation came in on the 2nd of January 2019, Uh, Section 73, capital A, came into place in terms of the basic conditions of employment, changing a few things. Now, before that piece of legislation came into place, employees having pay disputes would classically go to the Department of Labor, or we call it the Manpower Department back in the day, and to raise those concerns and complaints with the department, where an inspector would be allocated, then, of course, liaising with the employer and to try and resolve those disputes. And seeing... So that's, uh, you know, the department being so overwhelmed with queries and, and pay disputes, they didn't have those, um, you know, the capacity and manpower to really effectively deal with it. And this has been an ongoing discussion for some years. And the Minister of Labour, back in the day, then and the legislator said, let's change that. And they brought in Section 73A. We now, employers, and or rather employees, have access to the CCMA for their pay disputes. And that's where it starts. So 2nd of January, 2019, that's where it all starts making it very easier, much easier for employees to you know, get access to uh, some justice in terms of their pay disputes. And sometimes, of course, not only the CCMA is involved, if you are an employee that works as an employer that is organized through a bargaining council, then of course then that bargaining council would have the jurisdiction to deal with that pay dispute in form of a compliance dispute. But it's what's very interesting, Patricia, is that the sets of legislation are a bit different. The Section 33, Capital A, of the Labor Relations Act is really in place in terms of enforcing a collective agreement regarding wages, working conditions, benefits, contributions. And you know, again, there's a whole uh, array of lists of things uh, that can be enforced in terms of, of, of that piece of legislation. Going back to Section 33A, it's really important to note that there is an earnings threshold in terms of the basic condition of employment, which is currently and 30 dollars um, which allows you then, if you're below the threshold, you may refer the 73A dispute to the CCMA. Above that, your normal remedies still apply, whether it's magistrate courts, small claims court, or high court at the end of the day. But I think for the majority employers, the employees then, uh, but, uh, below the threshold, you would have access then to the CCMA, which, of course, is wonderful. The matter gets set down, and the commissioner then adjudicates the matter. And it's really, uh, it's actually, you know, having done so many of these disputes, Tricia, it's it's actually such an easy thing to do uh, for, for, for the parties, because either employer, you say, yes, I have to pay, or I don't have to pay. If you say I have to pay, well, then, of course, you agree with the, with the amount or not. If you say, yeah, I don't have to pay, then, of course, you have to argue that either I have paid or I don't have to pay because the person is on an employee. Oh, there's a couple of things that you can then argue in terms of of, of, of that. But uh, what is very important is that, of course, then that the CCMA can, can deal this uh, for you um, as an employee. Uh, I think what is very important is that there's a few legalities to the to, 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 the, to, to this point especially the burden of proof, it remains with the employee to prove that the employer owes him that money. Now, practically, that's very important and difficult, won't you think? Because the employer has all the records, have all the timesheets, have the payroll, and it lies with the employer really, practically then, to say, you know what, despite you, employee, having the burden of proof, you know, the employer has to come to the table in some form of manner to try and then either agree or disagree in terms of, of the the dispute Um, and then of course hopefully people can have a settlement agreement Um, and and there's a few things that parties need to really look at when they enter into a settlement agreement. I've seen so many times that um, parties have a settlement agreement and there's pieces left out in the settlement agreement making it a very poor settlement agreement and it's very important that you have very concise, unambiguous terms and conditions to the settlement agreement in terms of what type of statutory payment is to be agreed upon, the period, the amount or the quantum, and then payment by when. And it sounds very obvious, but sometimes even with a commissioner's assistance, parties tend to leave out one or two or even more of those elements in terms of a settlement. Then at the end of the day, walking out, having a poor settlement that you then can't enforce. Then, of course, the next question is, if settlement is not an option and parties cannot have a meeting of minds. What is the next step? Well, it's really the litigation process, whether it's at CCMA or at the bargaining council. There's a very fancy Latin term, the Audi Auton Parting Rule, that says that each party's version needs to be heard. The commissioner then makes a decision. And that becomes really an order of court. There's a compliance order, and that order then can be made an order of court. That is, of course, enforceable through the normal uh, legal processes at the end of the day. But it's very interesting when I did a comparative study between the two sets of, and it may be boring for some of you, but I think practically very important. There are some differences between the 73A, Basic Conditions of Employment Dispute, versus the Section 33A, Labor Relations Act Dispute, where, for example, in terms of the CCMA rules, if you look at, uh, I think it's Rule uh, 173C, the CCMA rules that's been promulgated that um, you cannot object to the Section 73A dispute. And what does that mean? The objection filed is that you deal with the conciliation and the arbitration processes separately on separate dates. The CMO rules do not allow for that. However, when we look at the bargaining councils, there's about 48 bargaining councils in South Africa, whether it's national, provincial, uh, local government, regional, etc., that um, have different array of rules, and some of them adopt CCMA rules for their adjudication dispute resolution processes, and others have their own, that um, normally you would be able to object to a Section 33A Labor Relations Act dispute that, of course, lengthens the, 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 the matter at the end of the day. And it's always the prerogative, fairly self of CCMA to adjudicate and disperse of matters as quickly as possible uh, to ensure that, well, justice is done, justice delayed, of course, is justice denied. And that's really the, um, the idea behind the CCMA, roping in the Department of Labor, the old manpower department's uh, function to deal with these things. And I think since 2019, uh, and, and where this legislation has changed, I must say I think the CCMA has done very well in terms of uh, dispersing with these disputes and really you know, getting down to all those arrears disputes at the end of the day. Um, a very, another very interesting thing is, of course, that legislation that uh, comes into place and being gazetted is not retrospective of nature. What does that mean is that if something comes into place, it cannot run backwards in, uh, into the past. So, what that means is that if you have a dispute as an employee before the 2nd of January 2019, and below the threshold, you still proceed with the classic route of compliance. Uh, with your complaint in the Department of Labor, where inspector is allocated. And all pay disputes, then of course, from 2 January 2019, it goes to CCMA. Further, interestingly more, did you know that statutory money claim disputes does not generally prescribe? There's been some contradictory legislation behind this fact. But generally speaking, um, if you have an award regarding statutory money that uh, your claim would never prescribe, uh, d- despite of course, the fact that the law prescription talks about three years, and that's also about you know social justice and balancing at the, uh, you know, those, uh, those uh, justices between the parties at the end of the day. So yeah these are all these exceptional things that, that, that has popped up um, that, that, that we've recognized. and you know even experiencing these disputes, uh, we see that the CCMA um, would award those compensation amount that's due and payable. In certain instances where there's non-compliance with the CC main uh, or with the national minimum wage, they would even uh, provide for penalties and fines, twice twice the value of the underpayment or twice the employee's monthly wage, which is of course a form of compensation for that non-compliance of the
0: national minimum wage.
1: Johan, you know, you've given us such a lot of information and I think it's very vital for all of us as uh, South Africans to understand how the CCMA works. And it's a good thing that you've also given us insight that, you know, since this new legislation, there's been a great turnaround time and outcomes of cases that are brought to the bargaining uh, council, especially when it comes to paid disputes. Let me open up for our A-teamers to ask questions or give comments on 11 714 alternatively they can also whatsapp a on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven there's a whatsapp voice note let's listen to it
0: uh patricia can you ask your guest uh, why always when you are you are being employed the company or the employer will tell you about the basic salary and then the incentives are out of bargaining council. Why is bargaining council allowing that to happen? Because they, must, they are the ones who are supposed to set the scale of how much the drivers must be paid and what must be paid and they must follow up on those things that if the companies are following those things that they are supposed to follow.
1: Thank you for that question, Eitima. Johan, can you please weigh in? Why do does the Bargaining Council not come in when it comes to incentives and the like?
2: Yes. Uh, Patricia, you know, this is such an important question, and I'm glad the, the listener asked this. Through, throughout all the, you know, CEOs with five different bargaining councils, among others, the Road Bargaining Council, which is also mentioned, I think, by the, the, uh, the listener, Um, And I think the challenge that all councils sit with is compliance and enforcement of the collective agreements that have been negotiated at council level being products of centralized bargaining. Having agents, or let's call them inspectors, uh, nationwide uh, to to, to do um, random inspections and regular inspections, of course, with employers that are registered. There are, of course, those employers under the radar um, that that we try and avoid... The, uh, the the director of, of the bargaining councils and that is then the job of the agents to to um, identify them and discover them but also that policing also lies with uh, with the, with the community whether it's the employer or the employee then to report that issues or even just generate it as a pay query sometimes you know these things can be so easily dispersed off um you know, and let's start plant level. If this employee has a pay query or he doesn't understand the rate of pay or the benefits or contributions that's paid or deducted, you know, before going, you know, and making a mortar of it, it's very good that you have a good line of communication, firstly with your employer, to raise a pay query or agreement in terms of the internal process. It can be done very informally in writing, preferably, to try and get better understandings. If then say if you're still of the opinion that look I've been underpaid You have the fullest right to to refer that to the bargaining council. Whether the employer is registered or not, um, it's all about whether the employer's operation or the core business falls under the scope of the bargaining council. Then, of course, the next step is that the agent uh, would be allocated and that that query or complaint would be investigated. So the councils rely not only on employers and employees, to, well, and their own functions, but also on, on the employees to, to to report those those issues if they have the, the, um, if they think that they are then underpaid. So, your yeah, compliance is is a, is a very key important thing because the, the true nature of centralized bargaining is to is to, to aim to extend that agreement in terms of what well, Section 32 of the Labor Relations Act to everyone in the industry. In a form of giving labour peace and stability, and levelling the playing fields, as it were, within an industry as an industry standard, so, uh, to avoid you know undue competition between um, you know businesses at the end of the day. Um, and I think you know you having some corporate backgrounds would appreciate the fact that that would be wonderful if everyone could play with uh, you know with the same set of rules. And that's really what the what the bargaining councils are really trying to advocate here. Um, so yes, uh, for, for that listener. Uh, Definitely, you know, I would start plant level, query and have the discussion with your employer or your line manager in terms of um, your pay query. And, and, you know, if you don't get joy, of course, escalate it to to the the bargaining council. Uh, Of course, you need to be very clear of your facts at the end of the day, because, um, you know, the moment that happens, uh, the mechanism kicks in where, of course, questions are asked. And it may practically, legally it shouldn't, but practically it does put a strain on the relationship between the employer and employee because we're busy with things, not on the normal run run of the more daily stuff, but we're busy with internal pay query stuff, which I believe, you know, we're all grown up people and it should be able to be resolved normally between the parties, you know, and I think the sanctity remains between the employer and the employee and I and I really meddle with that wonderful and beautiful relationship between that because at the end of the day, when I step out, you know, they need to continue with their relationship, and that's what's so important, uh, to try and facilitate that very, very diplomatically. I hope it answers the listener's question.
1: I'm sure you have answered it adequately. Let's go to the lines. I've got Atima Chawofi. Good evening, Atima.
0: Hi, how are you, man?
1: Good, thank you, Chawofi. How are you?
0: I'm fine. I'd like to put some questions to you um, on this. <coughs> what happens when you... You take your complaint to the Bargaining Council and they took up your letter and eventually the commissioner the gave an award to you against the company and mm-hmm. 10 years later, the company hadn't complied. What's the next course that you should take? Because... I I feel like the the the, the bargaining culture itself uh, let me down. All
2: right,
1: but, Khawafi, uh, Um I think oh, stay that, on the line in case oh, Johan has some questions uh, or follow up questions for you, Johan.
2: Yes. Look, that that issue that the the listeners raising, um, you know, has been captured in in some some legislation, and interestingly, so that. Um, uh, let me just get uh, get, get that uh, piece of legislation, uh, or that case law, is that the moment you have, uh, and that's my understanding. Of it, the moment you have an arbitration award in your favour, um, you know whether it be for statutory monies or the likes, uh, at the end of the day, that my understanding is that that arbitration award is not subject to the law of prescription, and that is still able to be enforceable. Of course, practically, let's be honest, you know the longer you take to enforce your award. No one can, can, can force you to exercise your right in terms of a debt that may be deemed payable And now I'm just talking about compensation. Reinstatement, as part and parcel of such an award, is a different get official altogether. But, you know, the company might not be in operation anymore. Um, you know, they might have changed offices. So the longer you take to exercise your right that is not subject to prescription. Uh, but practically the more difficult it may become to, to be able to, to, to get your remedy out of that award. And of course, the question is always then, 10 years further down the line, trying to get, enforce that order in terms of Section 143 of the LRA, you know, the CCMA always tends to, or the Councils always tend to ask, you know, how serious are you really with, with this matter if you come now 10 years later with this type of application? And there's a lot of practical uh, you know, hurdles to overcome, these uh, type of things. Um, but, yeah, theoretically, the legislative framework allows you to say, yeah, 10 years later, I want to enforce this now. Um, but practically, it, it, does, it does make it difficult, especially in today's economic climate where there's so much uncertainty. You know, we've you know, especially been involved in, in, in industry-level disputes and, and big companies' retrenching. Left, right, and center, companies are really taking strain. In, in certain industries that have been retracting for years now, You know, the straw that's breaking the camel's back has been COVID for the last year or two. Um, Where, yes, 10 years down the line, you might have an order or an arbitration award that is, you know, uh, they call it an empty award because the company that you want to enforce it on is no more. And then, of course, the question is, yes, can you chase down maybe the directors or the shareholders? You know, theoretically, maybe so. But again, I think practically more and more difficult. So, you know, the ideally so is that the moment you obtain the arbitration award if it's in your favour as an employee to try and force it. On our side, of course, representing employers usually, those are the type of arguments that that that, that we would have countering those type of applications. Because um at the end of the day, law prescription and certain other legislative frameworks allows for some finality and, and surety after a certain period. Now that's where really the idea of law of prescription. But yeah, there's been some contradictory case law to that effect. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's one specific case um, that I've actually read upon. And if we look at uh, Salu City versus CWU on behalf of Peters, it's a 2015 case that came out on the 16th of November 2015. When in Salu City, Judge you know um, she you know, you know, that judge is almost like a um, I think, a star in the Labour fraternity dismissed an employer's application for declarator uh, to the effect that an award made in favour of the employee has prescribed in holding that the Prescription Act is not applicable on arbitration awards made in terms of the LA. And that's, that's 2015, that's quite odd. Um, but yo, I've, we've had matters where an applicant comes and says, look, I know my employer possibly you know owes me money in 2018. where Then I would say to the employer, look, Legally, it has to go to the Department of Labor. But practically, you know, if you really want to be honest and fair and avoiding the inevitable, uh, and I think you'll it so well. Goodness and grace leads to the uh, to the great hearts of success. Employer, you're there. Let's step out of the legal uh, um, framework. Let's be practical, pragmatic. Let's nip this in the bud. Let's resolve it now. So you get different employees. Certain employees say, look, look, let's follow the legal process. Other employees say, look, we have an opportunity, let's resolve it now. Um, it depends on the type of client you have and the willingness of the African party and, and the commission of
0: facilitating it.
1: Well, Johan, let's hear if Ghaoufi uh, is feeling any better after your response. Haufi?
0: Um Yeah, I, I do understand what, what you say. But uh, in my case, the, the company, the only thing that has changed is the name. But the company is still there. The director is still there, and <clears throat> what 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 surprises me all the time when I I go to the to the bargaining council, they will always say uh, they change the compliance order, and when after changing the compliance order, they will send the the second compliance order to the company. And the company will willingly not respond. <clears throat> and after some years, again, when you go there, the commissioner or the agent that is she's helping you, she will tell you that the company hasn't complied. And you will also reissue the compliance order in your presence.
1: Mm. You know, Khamufi, my suggestion is that uh, you perhaps take this particular issue um, offline with Johan and uh, I'm sure and very confident that Johan will be able to assist you Um, Sorry about what you've been facing, a but I'm sure you will win Just keep up the good spirit Let's go to voice notes
0: Good evening to you, Patricia and your guest I've got a question to your guest, Patricia I wanted to know if the bargaining council have got a basic salary. If so, how much is it? And why is it not that the bargaining the, the employer doesn't want to pay us the incentives or the kilometer because we are just getting the basic salary as a salary at the end of the month? That is ten thousand 10,066 rand. I don't know how much are we supposed to get.
1: Thank you for the question, A-team. I think uh, Johan has addressed uh, a similar question around incentives and what legislation says. However, if you, I'm sure Johan will give us his contact details and you'll be able to be in touch with his office. Johan, as we close off, uh, perhaps uh, give us your contact details because it seems there's a lot of messages from a Teamers who have some pay dispute questions and struggles. How can they get in touch with you so that they'll be able to get assistance?
2: Yeah. Uh, Patricia, maybe just to set the record straight before I give my my details through, you know, we as an employee's organization, I can share the principles and, and, you know, the legal principles, um, you know, and refer them to different bargaining councils, but I cannot necessarily give advice like a lawyer or a trade union would be able to. So, you know, I fear that most of the listeners might be disappointed it means referring them either to a trade union in an industry or the Bargaining Council and just share with them the principles. But be it as it may, um, you know, I'm open for discussions on this issue. My cell number, uh, or rather, let me rather go through the, the office line. I think you guys would rather be able to reach me there. It's 012 880 0294. And um, if I'm not available, message will follow, for, for follow to me and I'll be able to make contact. Uh, and, of course, my email address is j for Juliet, p for Papa, at ceosa.org.za. Dot dot so that's charlie, ecker, oscar, sierra, alpha, dot .org, dot .za. And I'll be able to assist as far as possible, you know, being involved in so many boarding councils. I'll be able to, to at least, you know, share the principles. But I would not Thank you so very much, Johan.
1: Excellent. Thank you so very much. And I'm looking forward to having you on the show again. I think this is a, a topic or an issue that a lot of people who are currently employed are facing. Thank you for Pleasure, your time.
0: Thank you. Pleasure, thank, you. And God bless. thank you. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Andouli, Monday to Thursday, 10
2: p.m. till midnight.